Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Afu Shalema for Emmanuel High Ben Michal Shatiel. Please click the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbitzins YouTube page or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I'm so happy to have on today's show Rebbitzin Toby Bernstein. Inspired by the outreach vision of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbitzin Toby, along with her husband, Rabbi Mendel, moved from New York to Thornhill, Ontario in Canada in 1991. They started off at the main Chabad Center in Thornhill called 770 Chabad Gate, which I think is a great name, by the way. When they became aware of many Jewish families living in the Richmond Hill area, they moved there to Richmond Hill with their young family to open up a satellite community and start another Chabad Center. So they started in the basement of their home where they made a shul and they opened the Gan Shalom Preschool. But soon afterward, they rented a storefront in a local shopping plaza for all their events and activities and services and clubs. They eventually grew out of that space. And as divine providence would have it, they met an Italian philanthropist, Mr. Mario Romano, who gifted the Chabad of Richmond Hill with a piece of land that was soon to be developed. So the Chabad Romano Center was completed in January 2009, and that has allowed Rebbitz and Toby and Rabbi Mendel to expand their many programs and offer four more preschool classrooms, more outdoor play space, and more space for shul services and life cycle events Wow, <laughs> that's a beautiful journey. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. So first and foremost, I feel like I'm a mommy and a wife. And I try to put that first whenever we're planning events or programs. I feel like I always want to see how I can do it in a way that fits into my family lifestyle. When I had a house full of little ones, the phone was off from four o'clock till after bedtime. No cell phones then. <laughs> wow, yes. <laughs> um, but, um, but even after that, I really try to make space um, and kind of value the time that I have with the family. Um, so during the week, I would limit myself. Now that my kids are older, I'm working much more full time. Our preschool has grown. Our activities have grown. I don't know what came first, the activities growing and me needing to be there or me having more time. So we grew the activities. I'm not sure. But um, that's pretty much the way life works right now. So right now we're very busy. We're also bringing one of our sons who is married. He's going to come out and help us work with us. Plus, we have another shliach who helps us. Him and his wife help us with many other things. So we've expanded on many levels. Beautiful. That's amazing. That's amazing. You have so much to offer the yeah. community. It's um, it's Richmond Hill. So Richmond Hill, is it different than Thornhill or? So Richmond Hill is about 15 minutes north of Thornhill. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, the first uh, unit that we rented as a plaza for the shul slash preschool was owned by the Reichman family in Toronto. And they have a from um, manager by the name of Shlaimi Goldreich. Some of you know him because he did um, the marvelous Smidos machine. Um, anyway, so he was the manager of the building. And every time he would come to get the rent, he would say, um, wow, you guys live so far away. Maybe I should bring you kosher meat. <laughs> or if you need me to pick up any halvius or milk for you, I'm happy to do it. Um, but on the other hand, we actually feel very privileged that our shlachas is this easy, so to speak, because we're only 15 minutes away from a from community. And uh, it makes us very, you know, it's very, everything's very accessible for us. Our kids were able to go to Lubavitch schools, no problem. We're able to get food, no problem. It's a schlep, yeah, but you know, as far as that goes, all the from amenities are pretty close. So, yeah. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. It really, really is. Because I was going to ask you how you balance the shlichut with raising a family out, you know, mm-hmm. in the boondocks. But it sounds like you're not so right. far away from like the center of things. Right. When I look at my sister who homeschools all her eight children because they live in Northern California with no community, it makes me realize how easy we have it, you know. So it's true. The kids have no friends to play with on Shabbos. Um, but over over time, we've learned like techniques like Either sometimes they have friends from Thornhill stay with us for Shabbos, or sometimes they'll go to a friend or um, occasionally when they get a little bigger, we let them walk to Thornhill on Shabbos. It's a two and a half hour walk. Wow. Um, They'll do that once in a while. (laughs) Um, But now there's more and more from people as you get north now. It used to be nobody, but now there's more. So they have places they can stop on the way and get a drink. (laughs) One, I'm really glad to hear that the community is growing. really, really happy. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I can see that you have such a dedication to the Rebbe's mission and you're so passionate about reaching every Jew where they are and bringing them closer to Yiddishkeit. And it really is so special to be Jewish. And it's so important that each Jew knows that they are knows and feel that they are really, truly seen by Hashem. And they are truly so special and so precious in the eyes of Hashem. And I want to ask you, what is your personal approach in bringing Jews closer to Hashem so they can really feel that? So number one, you have to have a smile on your face at all times. <laughs> wow. That's Easier said than done. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all times. Everything's always good. Everything's always great. Um, I, I, there's a couple of kind of key tricks that I learned over the years. Number one is to try to remember where people are up to in life. In other words, if I see them in shul, I'll ask them, oh, how did your son's test go last week? I'll try. I'm not always so good at it, but I'll try to remember how their child's test went last week or whatever that's on their mind, I'll try to bring it forward to the next conversation so that they know that I'm thinking about them and I'm trying to keep up with what they're up to. And I care because I think when you show you care, then they care about you too. In other words, if you show them you care about their personal things, then when you invite them to a Shavuot ice cream party where the kids should come hear the 10 commandments, or you're inviting them to a Shabbaton dinner, they're more likely to come because they feel like we're friends, right? And we care about what they're up to. So that's number one. Number two, uh, I feel like I've developed a very thick skin over the years in that I don't take it personal if people rebuff me, or I try not to at least, (laughs) Um, because it's usually not personal. It's usually that the Yiddishkeit is too scary or it's usually, you know, something personal in their lives that it really has nothing to do nothing to do with me personally. So I feel like those two keys, if you can keep to that, um, then people are more attracted to you. And when they're more attracted to you, they're more attracted to your Yiddishkeit. That's such a beautiful and powerful thing. Like you want to create that relationship. You really want to create the relationship with with the people and through that relationship, you can bring them closer. It's so amazing. Wow. Um, so speaking of relationships and people, you meet so many wonderful families through your work at Chabad. And I was wondering if there's maybe a story or two that you can share about how through your Jewish outreach and your efforts to bring Jewish back, Jews back to Yiddishkeit, you've really made a, a significant impact on a family or on a bunch of different families. So our success is actually also our failure because <laughs> anytime we make a or help guide a family towards Yiddishkeit, um, usually what happens is then they move out of our neighborhood. They move to Thornhill. They put their kids in firmer schools, so they want to be near in those areas. So there's a lot of turnover in that way. Um, We do try to keep up with the families once they've left us. 
But um, so we do have obviously stories of families who are kind of success stories and that their whole family became religious and they've moved on. Um, but we also have many, many families who just may have made tiny steps like coming to Shul on Shabbos or coming to Shul, you know, for bigger events or, you know, just those kind of things. But I will tell you one story that's very special to our hearts, right when we moved to Richmond Hill. So my oldest was about five and um, we were friendly with some of the young families in the neighborhood. And one of our neighbors had a child who was about six or seven and he was going to a conservative day school, which was the only day school that was kind of closer to our area. So that's why people did the conservative one. And um, he insisted on wearing tzitzis like my little boys <laughs> to go to the day school. Um, that did not go over very well in the conservative day school. Everybody was making fun of him. The kids were bullying him. So he insisted to his parents that he moved to a more religious day school. And when they moved to a more religious day school, the parents had to commit to kosher and Shabbos. So then that came and then slowly everything kind of came together only because this little one wanted to copy my kids and where it sits us. So wow. now all of those little boys are adults. <laughs> so it's really fun to see, you know, the adult version of this, but um, definitely this family ended up staying with us in our neighborhood. So we're very close and they're very dear to our hearts. That is yeah. so special. And it yeah. just brings it back again to what you were saying is the relationship. I mean, you, you were just neighbors yeah. really. It's pretty much like how yeah. it started. Yeah. It's, it's wow. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and now, you know, on, on opposite on the opposite um, hand, you know, we all know Jews who are just simply not interested in anything Jewish, not the holidays, not davening, not traveling to Israel, like really nothing. You know, it's possible that their viewpoints were influenced by the way that they grew up, by their current environment. Maybe they had a bad experience or just they're just simply not interested in Judaism. And sometimes those people are our family members or our friends, like, you know, in our personal lives, you, you know, and regular everyday people's personal lives. We all know people like this who are just not interested in Judaism. Is there anything that we as, uh, let's say, lay people, people who are not trained in Kiruv, which is also known as outreach, we're not trained in outreach. How can we what can we do? Is there anything we can say or do that might spark some interest or encourage those around us to come closer to Yiddishkeit? So there's two things. Number one. Um, we have to be a role model wherever we are, it, whatever work environment you're in, shopping. If we're a good role model and we show nice behaviors and nice meetups and we put our carts back in the in the shopping, you know, our shopping carts back, uh, you know, after shopping, and if we make sure to park in a way that doesn't take up two parking spots, and if we wait quietly online, and if our children are behaved, hopefully, maybe in the store, all these kinds of things make an impression on people. Um, and we have to remember that we're really Hashem's ambassador and we have to, we have to make a good impression on people no matter where we are. Um, so I think you never know where that good impression will take them. Even if it just helps change their attitude towards from people that might change their attitude toward Yiddishkeit. But the other thing is that the Lubavitcher Rebbe always encouraged us, um, for, for Pesach to give out matzah, for Rosh Hashanah to do shofar blowing, going house to house, um, for Sukkot, you know, ha go around and do the bracha of the Lulav and Esrog with people. And it's pretty amazing how when you go to the people, often they will say, sure, I'll do it, either because they feel bad that you came over or our kids. Our kids go 
door to door on Rosh Hashanah blowing shofar for people the whole entire Rosh Hashanah afternoon and the whole entire Sukkot afternoon. They go from door to door. We go to the public school standing outside blowing shofar and, um, and doing the bracha of lulav with people and giving out matzah and giving out mishloach manot. The more we do that, the more we make it easy for people. Like they almost can't bypass the mitzvah because we're right there doing it with them. So you never know which mitzvah will spark an interest. And sometimes we feel like we have no interest at all. And then, or people are not giving us any feedback, but then, you know, it'll happen like during COVID where somebody would say to us, oh, your sons didn't come by to blow the shaifa for us. We would have opened the door for them. So Mm -hmm. you realize that you are making an effect and you are helping them do mitzvahs, even without them almost feeling it or knowing it or waiting for it. Right. So there are many opportunities that the Rebbe has given us by his instruction to be able to, you know, get like during, especially during COVID, we gave a challah to so many people with a little booklet on how to keep Shabbat, all those things, you never know what the people will take from it or what they'll do with it, you know? Right. You're making um, the opportunities available, making the opportunities and literally bringing the opportunities to their doors. You know, it really makes a huge difference. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That's incredible. It really makes a lot of sense. So, Mm -hmm. okay. For example, like, what would you say um, to get somebody to come to your Shabbos table? For example, like you want to, you want to introduce people to Shabbos. You want to show the Mahala and the Brachot and like what Shabbos is all about. So I have a little trick that I do with the preschool families that I tell them that over the course of the year, I try to invite everyone. So they should tell me which friends they want to come with. And then I invite three, four families together. And then they're not as scared because they're coming a few families together. Usually I'll give them a heads up of like what to expect. Cause sometimes they're just scared because they have no idea what it is. So if they have no idea what it is, I tell them, There'll be a prayer for about five minutes while we all stand. Then my husband will make the blessing on the wine. Then we'll wash our hands for challah and then we eat. And during that time, there's not a lot of rules. If your kids want to leave the table, we're okay with that because some people get nervous that their kids want to leave. Or So I find when we invite them with friends, it makes it easier for them. But I have to tell you a funny story. One time, many, many years ago, her the children in the story are now in university. So it was a long time ago. We had a preschool family that was very warm to, towards us personally. So when we invited them for Shabbat dinner, I thought for sure they'll say, yeah, for sure, no problem. And they, the, the wife kept pushing me off and pushing me off. Every time I said, is this weekend good? Is this weekend good? Is this Friday? Every time I was like, maybe next week, maybe next week. Finally, I said to her, straight up. We, she was very friendly. So I was able to do this. I said, I think you're, you're actually like avoiding us. What's going on? So she said, I don't own a skirt. So I don't think I could come to your house for Shabbat dinner. <laughs> so I so said, funny. well, you, I said, you have two choices. Either you can buy a skirt <laughs> or you can come as is. And I'll only look at you from the head up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I don't remember what she did, but they ended up coming for dinner. That um, is so funny. Well, so, I've never heard that before. It's so funny. Yeah. So sometimes people have like, a, you know, like that's why I learned not to not to take things personal because, you know, you never know where they're coming from. That's such a good point. That's really, yeah. really good point. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So that's, that's for Shabbos. And that's, you know, I guess Shabbos is the foundation of Judaism. What if you want to do something a little bit more, um, 
more complicated, like convincing a woman to go to the mikvah. That's not as easy as, as inviting them to a Shabbos meal. Mikvah involves a lot of preparation, spiritual preparation, physical preparation, and you have to be in the right mindset to be able to go to the mikvah. So what is something that you can do in that situation? And not only that, sometimes I meet a woman who I think would be a perfect candidate and she's absolutely refusing. And sometimes somebody who I would never in a million years think would be interested in mikvah or even know what it is, will be like interested in it. So mikvah's hard. First of all, I teach brides very often because my husband officiates the wedding. If he's officiating, then they learn with me. So then they go for sure, at least before the wedding. I try to convince them to go more often um, with very medium success in that arena. Yeah. But, um, but I, I did something a few months ago that surprisingly actually worked really well. And I'm going to do another round of it. And that is that I posted on our Chabad Facebook page, six two minute clips of me speaking about the beauty of mikvah. And we put them out one a week or once every like five days or so. And, um, surprisingly they were very well received and, I did get some interest for the mikvah from that. A couple of women called me. I taught them. Some went only once. One is continuing to go. But I got like, I would say, I think maybe five or six, uh, you know, customers or whatever you clients um, for the mikvah because of that. So I'm going to do it again now in June, July and see what happens. You never know. That's amazing. Yeah. So, okay. So now I'm thinking, so you, you, you were, you made the video and you were talking about the mikvah, the beauty of the mikvah, how it works, like all mm-hmm. the details and your all the different clips. So I'm wondering if maybe that would even work for other, for other um, mitzvot, you know? So, yeah. So I'm not that good at social media. So I have a friend who kind of helps us with that. And she's, she was the one who actually videoed me and posted the clips. Um, but yeah, probably we should, probably we should do that. I mean, anyone who does anything in social media always says personal engagement really, you know, brings the people in much more. So, uh, yeah, that's another, another frontier that we need to tackle. That's for sure. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I'm yeah. so glad to hear that. It's so effective that, that you, what you've yeah. been doing. Yeah. I was surprised. I was surprised how effective it was. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So let's elevate it a little bit more. What, so it's important for Jews to do mitzvot and it's important for Jews to learn about mitzvot, why they're doing the mitzvot, why it's important. What, do, what would you say to, to Jews who are just, they're not interested in learning. They don't want, I'm talking about women and men, both of them. Like they're just not interested in learning Torah. They're not interested in keeping any of the mitzvot. You know, is there, what if they pick one mitzvah? Can, can they keep just one mitzvah or does it have to be, you know, everything? Is it an all or nothing approach? What if they're worried about that? Because I feel like a lot of people are saying, you know what, if I'm not going to keep all the 613 mitzvot, I may just as well not do anything. I feel like that's definitely a mentality. So what would you say about that? Right. Well, to take on Judaism as a full on lifestyle is extremely overwhelming for people who are not familiar with it. There's so much learning, there's so much doing, and then there's the whole cultural side of it that, you know, some people are easier at picking up than others, but you know, there's a lot, there's a lot involved. So, I mean, the Lubavitcher Rebbe always emphasized that every mitzvah that a person does has value. And we can always just pick one mitzvah to do and that has value too. Even one mitzvah one time has value. So, you know, if that's what they're ready for, then that's great. If not, you know, we bribe them in so many other ways to get them into the building. <laughs> right. Either it's an ice cream party for Shavuot or it's a, uh, 
you know, a paint party for moms in the preschool, or it's a menorah making uh, and menorahs and martini party for women or a big barbecue for families. So we try and kind of bring them in through the back door by, you know, having different activities and, you know, different like ways to sort of sneak in the Yiddishkeit behind, behind the activities and parties. Yeah. 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 I always laugh when people tell me what I'm religious. I come to the ice cream party every year on Shavuot. And I think to myself, it's not really the ice cream. It's really hearing the 10 commandments. Right. But they think that the religion of it is the ice cream party. You know, (laughs) that's so funny. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, I really like what you say. You said one thing and I wrote it down and it really, really stuck with me. One mitzvah, one time has value. Mm-hmm. So if you mm-hmm. watch one mitzvah, doing it one time, not consistently, not every day, not once, like one mitzvah, one time has value. If you don't mind, just it just touched me so much. I was wondering if maybe you could expand a little bit on that because I think that is key right here. Right. Well, there's two aspects to this. First of all, Every mitzvah that a person does is adding to their scale, right? And uh, every mitzvah that they do will add a lot of merits to them on a personal level and on a global level because everything has a ripple effect. Any mitzvah that you do, it has an effect on the people around you, on your family. Your wife gets some of the merit of that. Your children get some of the merit of that. Everybody's going to gain from the fact of the one mitzvah that you do. So that's just one aspect of it. But the other aspect is also that as a global community, right, um, every person that adds one more mitzvah, right, then the whole community as the Jewish nation can bring the world closer to Mashiach, right? So it's not just the effect that you have in your circle or yourself, it's also the whole Jewish community. Another thing is that sometimes when one person does one mitzvah, it inspires them or makes them think in the future about doing it another time. Like, let's say the person who's resistant to put on tefillin over and over and over. And finally, those boys who go every Friday to this guy's office will convince him to put on tefillin. So maybe then he'll take it on. Once he starts to get a feel for it, he'll take it on as a permanent mitzvah. You never know. Right. So our boys go every Friday afternoon when yeshiva's over for the day, they go every Friday afternoon to different offices and storefronts to, do to fill in with people. And um, one of my boys is a little more persistent, doesn't give up easily. And he would go every single week to the same guys who would refuse every single week. It came to the point where one of the men would hide in the back office every single week. And one week he couldn't get out of a phone call that he was on and hide in the back office. And my son was there. He had no choice but to put on the tefillin. He finally put on the tefillin. And after that, he actually loved it. And the boys will come back and every single week he started doing the tefillin. And then he actually even came to my son's wedding afterwards. Um, and he loved the Hasidic wedding. So you never know where it will snowball, right? Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were mentioning the scale. I, I just want to clarify for the people who may not be familiar that the scale that you're talking about is when you do mitzvahs, you get mitzvah angels on the mitzvah side of the scale. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the scale is the Avera, the sin scale. Like when you do something wrong, you get the Avera angels, the, the sin mm-hmm. angels. And right. when you when you go to Shemaim and uh, you're on trial in front of Hashem, you have the mitzvah angels arguing. This was such a good person. You you have to give, you have to give them a good judgment. They did this mitzvah. They did that mitzvah. All the pros that you have. And then you have the, the Avera angels on the other side 
side saying, no, this person did it in Vera. They did sin. They did bad things. Don't give them a chance. And don't um, let them, you know, don't have mercy on them. So, the, so our goal really as Jews is to get more mitzvah angels than Avera angels so that we can come up victorious. And so we can avert uh, a harsh decree in Shemaim. Right. So Maimonides says that every single person has to look at himself as if he's on a scale that's even and every mitzvah that he does may tip the scale. Also, we don't know the weight that any mitzvah carries and we don't know the weight that your intent or the amount of difficulty that you have to work through to get to that mitzvah. You don't know how much weight that carries either, right? right. So every mitzvah and also every mitzvah might, eat, might even have a different weight for different people, right? Yes. Like for me to eat kosher is really not a big deal. I doubt I'm getting a lot of brownie points for that, right? right. But somebody who's giving up their cheeseburger to go to a kosher uh, you know, kosher restaurant is probably getting a lot more for that. So, you know, every person on their own level is also on this journey of, you know, trying to find that, that balance of making their scale, you know, heavier on the right side. <laughs> I love that. Right? And we don't know, we don't know who's, who's getting points for what, right? You're right. And I forgot yeah. about that. Like for me, I'm talking about me personal, personally now. I, I forgot about that. You know, yes, we all have the same mitzvot to do. But for some right. people, some mitzvot are harder and some mitzvot are easier. And when you do a mitzvah, the, you get more rewarded for the harder you have to work to do it because it's really, really hard. Like you said, mm -hmm. you know, eating kosher food for some people it's really difficult to keep Shabbat. For others, it's, you know, it's as easy as breathing for other people to give up going to the movies, to give up, you know, going to the restaurant on Friday night and to really keep Shabbat. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it's a labor of love and they get really rewarded for that. So thank you for reminding me of that. Mm -hmm. Um. And so, I mean, we've been talking about bringing Jews closer to Hashem and the holy teachings of the Torah. And now I really want to finally ask why. Why is it so important for Jews to have such a strong Jewish identity? Why is it important to, for them to know that Hashem loves them and is constantly guiding them? And really, even more than that, why is it not okay to be like everyone else? Because if you look around, it seems like everybody's eating non-kosher food. Everybody's going to the movies and restaurants on Friday night. Everybody's wearing whatever they want and really basically just doing whatever they want. And it's easy. Just do what you want. Why not? You know, it seems like such a much easier lifestyle to be like everybody else among all the strong temptations in this, the secular world offers. Why is it important to think and act and live like a Jew? So. I mean, this is a very big question. It's not really a, a, for, to be answered on one foot, but yes. the bottom line is, is that the Jewish people believe that we are the Am Hanifcha, we're chosen by Hashem to be his chosen nation. And when we're Hashem's chosen nation, it comes with a lot of responsibility. And our responsibility is to be, is to be the best people we can be and to be a light unto the nations like I said before, God's ambassadors, because that's really what our job or part of our job as Jews is. It's also our job to bring this world into a much holier place than it's been. That's why Hashem gave us all of those mitzvahs. Now, it's very hard in the modern day to understand that when we can freely mix with all kinds of people and there's no restrictions on Jews, we're not put into a ghetto. So it's hard to maybe understand when these lines are so blurred um, but I do want to tell you a fascinating story that I just read that maybe shows the power of the fact that we are the chosen nation. And that is um, in the concentration camps, the Klosenberger Rebbe, who lost 11 children and his wife 
in the camps was um, being beaten up by some Nazi guards. And as they were beating him, blood was coming out of his nose and his mouth. And they kept saying to him, are you still the chosen nation? And he said, yes. Again, they beat him some more. Are you still the chosen nation? He said, yes. Again, beating them. Are you still the chosen nation? And as the blood was pouring out of him, he said, as long as I am not the one that's beating and hitting and kicking innocent people, yes, I am the chosen nation. So, you know, he was coming obviously from a place of being tortured, which is not that today, but, you know, we're losing Jews to Judaism through the opposite way, through affluence, through, you know, assimilation. And I think it's our job to remind everyone how special we are as Hashem's children, how the fact that he gave us this beautiful neshama so that we can be the ones to bring the holiness into the world and beauty into the world and make this world a better place. And the more we can remind other Jewish people of that, that they feel that pride, the more they can understand that we're Hashem's chosen nation for this special job. And then hopefully they'll stay connected. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. You gave us a lot to think about today. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Bye.